0: Welcome to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks, shortcuts designed to shape your best life and business in the least amount of time. I'm your host, David Ubita. Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs starts right now. Welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks to shape your best life and business in the least amount of time with your host, loss mitigation executive entrepreneur and nationally featured author and speaker, David Ubita. Hey, in episode 25, we catch up with none other than comedian and entrepreneur, Melissa Rochelle. Melissa, in this episode, really talks openly about the work, the pressures and assumptions associated with being a professional comedian and entrepreneur. So stay tuned.
1: Hello. How are you? Good. How are you?
2: I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for joining us here on uh, the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. And I know that our audience is going to be in for a real treat because you are officially the first comedian to join us on the podcast. So, congratulations.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. It <laughs> wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened if I also didn't do real estate. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So it's funny how how we, you know, the things that we do connect us with various, you know, people um, as we're in our journey. And so the audience knows I ran into Melissa again while she was doing a her set, a, a uh, her comedic set, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago. I'm thinking, wow, man, time flies. And. Yeah. Uh, when we reconnected, I said, "You know what i 've got to have you on the podcast because most people assume that someone who 's funny or, or who does comedy that that 's all they do. They stand up on a platform and crack jokes. Um, but my hope is today that you could give us some insight on what it 's like being a professional comedian and at the same time what 's some of the you know the business side of being a comedian that perhaps uh, we are not aware of. So tell us a little bit about your journey. How did that all begin?
1: Uh, Well, I got into comedy after my mom passed away, you know, the most hilarious time in your life. So a lot of people, I think, have that common thread where they get into comedy after they're, you know, really sad about some major event in life. And um, there was a guy that I worked with and liked, and he said, uh, hey, I think you're funny. You should do comedy. And I thought us going to an open mic was a date, and it was not. (laughs) And, you know, he watched me do a set, and he kissed me and then never talked to me again. So that's how I got into comedy. (laughs) Yeah. What a great story. uh, (laughs) His dad actually passed away like a couple weeks after my mom did. So it was was just, you know, not the right fit time person, but he introduced me to stand-up, which I didn't realize was, in art form, I was a theater major and a finance minor and um was trying to figure out how to balance those and now I do stand up in real estate, so I guess that's kind of how. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of a odd story and then he ended up like unfriending me on Facebook. I think he got upset that I actually stuck with it and he kept seeing like me post shows and things like that. So
2: Oh, that is hilarious.
1: Yeah, it was a weird weird start, but it also made sense. Like in theater, I was always like accidentally funny. Like I was trying to be like in a serious role. I remember I played a cop once and I slapped a kid and everyone laughed and I was like, I was so heartbroken. I was like, why is no one taking me serious?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then, you know, you just, you fight, stop fighting like the things that you're not good at and just go in with the good things that you are better at. So,
2: so you mentioned that a comedy. You discovered that comedy was an art form. Walk us through that. What does that mean? I mean, if someone is on the fence right now and considering comedy, or is a fan of 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 the uh, the art form, is it? Do you have to naturally be funny, um, or, or can can that be cultivated?
1: I mean, a little bit of both, right? Because you know, I my first mic, I didn't like kill. I didn't do amazing, but I got a couple laughs, and that was enough be like oh this is kind of fun let me like learn more about it and I did I took a couple comedy classes like you know for structuring and joke writing so I mean that aspect you definitely can pick up and kind of shape but I think you definitely have to be the type of person that's always trying to figure out why things are the way they are in our world so if you have that inquisitive nature then I think you could just become a comedian like if you think like that because you never stop writing like my boyfriend teases me all the time for that like we'll be doing normal people stuff and i'll just stop get off my phone and write an idea down and he'll be like oh well let me know what it is when you
2: figure it out so melissa is is comedy a you mentioned that it was an art form right so is that something mm-hmm. where someone has to be naturally funny or is it something that can be cultivated over time
1: Oh, I mean, it definitely helps if you're naturally funny, but I think the hardest part would be to train your brain to just always be, like, looking for why the world works the way it does. That's really what comedians are doing, is they're trying to, like, reframe things in a funny way so that other people can understand larger concepts. At mm. least that's what the good comedians do. Bad comedians maybe, you know, just do dick jokes only. Um, I, I mean, you can do a dick joke that's <laughs> I do some about economics to try and make that more fun for people because they're not going to go read Rothbard on their own. Um, So I think that's kind of the most important part is you have to have that natural personality where you're always looking for why things are the way they are. Um,
2: So as a comedian, uh you said something interesting. As a comedian, you're leveraging, you're, you're introducing or, reframing things for your audience so that they can consider a a larger principle, if you will, or idea. can you give me a, an example of what that would look like, like something in your set where you're helping your audience reframe something, but there is like a there's like a more meaningful point behind it yeah, yeah. um
1: is there any content restrictions on your show? <laughs>
2: no, no, please be yourself no be
1: okay yourself. okay, so this is one I've been kind of toying around with is like. Uh, like, I worry about the current generation uh, becoming, like, dumber, and I feel like the only way we're going to reach people is if we get porn stars to read Rothbard, wa- Rothbard while they're giving a rim jump. You know, like, something like that is, like, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> a dirty joke, but it's making a point about society, and now you're like, who the heck is Rothbard? What is she talking about? So you might actually go look it up. <laughs> So,
2: very interesting, very interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah, recently when I've tried that joke, people have kind of just stared at me, and I've looked at them and been like, none of you know who Ralph Bird is, right? And they would go, no. And I'm like, ugh, I'm five years too late on this idea. Oh, five years too late. And it, it proves the point. They don't know who he is. Um, so that's one way I've been kind of trying to my humor because I did a lot of jokes when you know you and I first originally met we were both single and so my material was like mostly about that and just dating yeah. Yeah. and I think you know that's something that everyone can relate to on some level either they've gone through the process or they're still going through it
2: right
1: so now just like taking those things that everyone can understand like dating and um, other motivators and trying to add a little bit more High-brow ideas in with lowbrow ideas.
2: <laughs> yeah. So walk me through that because I know that one of the questions I have for comedians is how do they get their material? And so let's look at – you mentioned dating. What were you – were you, through your own dating experience, using that as content?
1: Oh uh, Yeah. And that was definitely probably the first four years I did comedy, what most of my content was about. And, you know, now I'm starting to do jokes about, like, my father living through communism in Hungary and things like that, Um, which, again, are a little bit harder to talk about with people. But, you know, if you have a personal story, it's like people can't get as mad at you about saying something they may not initially agree with, right? How can you deny my personal experience or my personal story? That's one right. of the cool things about comedy is um, just the fact that, like, unlike a Facebook fight, you have a microphone and it's it's a monologue, not a dialogue. And so that kind of is a weird thing that people don't really have anymore nowadays. Um, you know, if you have a back and forth with somebody, they're going to constantly interject, interrupt. But when you go to a comedy show, unless you're a heckler and you or jerk and probably get kicked out um you're not you're not interjecting while the comedian is trying to share their worldview with you so that's one of the really cool things about the platform and it's just you know I did theater for forever theater is weird because you're playing somebody else um and a lot a lot of people feel more comfortable doing that than they do with comedy because with stand-up like If you bomb, that's on you. You know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. no one else up Mm -hmm. there. You're sharing how you think, how you see the world, what you think is funny. And if other people don't like it, it hurts personally. (laughs) So let's talk about
2: that. Let's talk about that because I know there's got to be some times where you've just absolutely freaking crushed it. And then I'm sure there's times where where maybe not so much. How do you handle both of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, even the night that, you know, you and I saw each other again. Um, we hadn't seen each other in a couple of years. I didn't have a great set that night. I had a couple of moments where it was good, but it was a loud bar. People weren't listening. Um, the venue's just not really set up for comedy. And so, you know, take you take that into account, but you still see that other people did do well in that venue, despite those things. So you can't be so hard on yourself that you totally blame yourself for everything or else you would never get on stage again. Um, but you can't be so cocky or confident like, Oh, it was the audience. It wasn't me or else you're never going to grow as a performer because you're not giving yourself honest feedback. That's what's Mm -hmm. cool about comedy is you get an instant market survey of whether people like what you're saying or not.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) good. uh, Great way to put it.
1: Yeah. You know, you and I are in business as well like that is stuff that business owners pay a lot of money to find out. And comedy, you just get to find out, like, right away. So even if it's feedback you don't like and that hurts, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you fail quick and uh, it helps you figure out – like, it's a lot like science, too, right, where you have a hypothesis and you're like, all right, I think this joke is going to work. And then you try it and you're like, all right, that experiment didn't work. Back to the drawing board. So – It definitely has some level of structure and form and science to it. Um, But it's also amazing when comics can just get on stage and just like totally rant and have nothing prepared ahead of time. But the people that can do that are the people that played with the structure first and learned it really well. Mm. Um, That's what a lot of new comics kind of mess up on. They just, try and get on stage and be like, Oh, I'm not, I don't prepare any jokes. Like this is just my life. And we're like, yeah, we know it's very evident. You did not prepare for this.
2: (laughs) Wow. And
1: it's, it's agony to sit through this. Um, but then if you look at somebody like, I don't know, have you ever heard of Joey Coco Diaz? No, that guy's crazy. He's just lived a crazy life where like you could give him any topic and he could just riff on it forever because he's lived so many weird things. Um, he's got a really good set on, uh, this isn't happening. Like, a, I I think comedy central hosts that show, but anyhow, the people that, you know, have gotten to that level have been doing it like 10, 20 years and they, they put in their 10,000 hours and then they can break away from the form.
2: So I'm glad you brought that up because who are some of the comedic influences that uh that you have and that you look up to uh like when you start and then these days is uh, this guy Joey one of them
1: No, he's not somebody I even knew about until um I think my boyfriend was watching him because he was on Joe Rogan a lot. But um I watch a lot, you know, anyone that pretty much has a Netflix special I've watched. Some comedians don't like to do that cuz they're like, "Oh, I don't want to sound like anyone else." But I think I think you only fall into that trap if you only listen to one type of comic. You know what I mean? But if you listen to people that have different genders, different races, different ages, like some are in relationships, some are single, some have families, and you see like the patterns of what does well with all those differences, that can really help you.
2: Mm. Got it. Got it. So in your opinion – what uh-huh. makes a great what What makes a great comic? I mean, like, is it the timing? Is it the actual content? Because I know some of us might have a lot of experiences or content, but sometimes we may not be able to to really communicate or be able to. Um, I don't know, like like you, like you just mentioned, like riff on a uh, on a specific topic. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I think the best quality is not being afraid to look stupid.
2: Ooh, that's good.
1: Because you will. You absolutely will. Like, you bomb. Sometimes people throw a curveball at you. Sometimes people heckle. Um, and the only way you know how to deal with those things is going through those things. So if you never get on stage because you're afraid to not do it perfectly, then you'll never do it. So, I mean, that's anything you do in life, right? That's real estate. That's starting a business. That's even. Dating right if you're the guy and you are too afraid to go talk to a girl. You're never going to end up with the girl like You just can't be afraid to look stupid. So I think that's one thing that comedy does really help people with and um, Even though I like doing stand-up. I did do a little bit of improv. I took you know some classes at second city and um, a lot of companies do that too. They'll have their employees go through like improv training just to make them feel comfortable getting things wrong and looking stupid. That's really what they're paying for. Um, and you know, as adults we're so concerned about how people view us, like what's our online presence? How do people like perceive us? But when we're little kids, we don't care about that at all. And that's where you find the freedom in being able to be funny is when you don't care about looking stupid because so you're going to get it wrong. And, um, That's pretty much the only guarantee. You don't know if you're going to do well or not. You know, at some point, you will look stupid, and that's that's anything.
2: Yeah, I love that. Uh, And what a great segue in terms of um, just life, love, and business. That whole concept of being fearless and letting the cards fall where they may because you ultimately wind up getting comfortable in your own skin, and you really just don't care – if it's accepted by others, especially if you're just being your authentic self, you're being true to yourself, you're being true to that message or whatever you're saying, it takes the weight off. And I know in business, especially in leadership, if um, mm-hmm. we work with leaders so often, CEOs and business owners, things like that, people who uh, are have leadership responsibilities, their leaders are often viewed through a magnifying glass. And I Over the years, as as I've studied leaders and worked with them, what I've noticed is a common thread that the most successful, most impactful, the most influential leaders are the ones that just don't give a crap. They're like, you know what? This is my truth. This is where I am. And you can take it or leave it. But regardless of your feedback or input, I am okay with myself because it's my true feeling about the subject, right?
1: Yeah. There was, I don't remember who said the quote, but somebody said, uh, everyone is, everyone is afraid of something. So you can't be afraid of fear. You just can't live in fear. Like you, you have to acknowledge that you will have fears. Everyone does. That's like wired into us. It's a survival tactic. Like you should check in with it, but to actually like let it halt you from doing things because you're so frozen by fear. That's that's the problem. So, I think part of being an entrepreneur and getting on stage is just uh reframing fear. <laughs> like if you think of it as helpful feedback, um instead of something to stop you from doing anything ever, then that's really the only way you can move forward in life with that because you know, you've started businesses. I'm sure you've done more than one, right? Like some have failed, some have taken off. And Mm -hmm. if you felt like, Oh, I look stupid because I failed at one, you would never get up again and do the one that doesn't fail. So that's kind of where I am right now with like a senior housing project. I put a lot of time in, I met with the city, I hired an architect and that specific property isn't going to work. And, uh, Talking to your friends that aren't entrepreneurs won't get that that is a great thing because it. I failed quickly and I didn't put a lot of money into it, even though it personally feels like a lot of time. Sure. It really wasn't. You know what I mean? Like we never broke ground. The contracts were never signed. Like it was good. I learned a lot from it and I've met some like future partners out of it. But if I was too afraid to do it, I wouldn't have met any of those partners that now the idea I was originally working on has morphed and shaped into a different aspect. So, yeah.
2: That's fantastic. I love it. So as we wrap up this conversation, um, and again, thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing your experience as a comic and kind of the things, uh, and we have a takeaway here with reference to um, learning to really ourselves and not being afraid of looking a certain part, being uh, secure and not, uh, not being secure in the feedback of others, but in the fact that we are being our true self. This is what we truly feel. And, you know, it's our conviction and all that stuff, which is a fantastic uh, piece of advice. And we appreciate you for that. Um, What's next for you? What what would you like to see uh, uh, for, for your career? What are you, what's, what's you know in 5 years from now what's going to be happening with melissa
1: well that's a great segue um because i guess 5 years from now would be taking my own advice that i just gave to everyone here <laughs> 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 because here's the thing when i was younger i was like oh i want to move to la i want to be in movies like i want to do that like i wanted to be famous and that was my motivating factor with comedy right that was like what got me to do multiple mics a night and then Got in a relationship saw traveled, saw some things in the world. Our dog had a bunch of puppies, so I just like had all these things thrown at me right and um with the internet, you learn more and more things about the why things happen in the world, right, which is what I was talking about good comics doing is they're always looking for patterns of why does the world work this way, and so my five year goal with comedy is going to have to be essentially creating my own platforms so that if I have a point of view that isn't necessarily in line with some of the more mainstream comedic narratives that I can self fund and not be censored. Cause I mean, I don't know if you know about, you know, all the Facebook censoring that happened with like libertarian and conservative groups on Facebook, but like, we're living in kind of a weird time with free speech and that definitely applies and goes over into, you know, the Chicago comedy scene and the comedy scene in general. Like if you look at like the late night hosts, they all pretty much have the same point of view. They all feel the same way about certain hot hot button topics. And um, if you have anything that is different than that, you have to be even more articulate with your wording even more grounded in your point of view and who you are and you have to be more okay with looking stupid and having people tell you you're wrong and that's kind of where I am right now is figuring out all right where do I want my voice to go what am I trying to say and how am I going to deal with people saying maybe I don't like what you're saying or I disagree with what you're saying and um There's a really cool channel called Joy Camp. They do um, more like free thinking comedy. And they poke fun at, you know, conspiracy theory things and the government and topics that like Comedy Central wouldn't, wouldn't put on their shows. And they're doing well because they don't take money from anybody that would shut them down and censor their voice. And so that's kind of a cool thing for entrepreneurs right now is, you know, people are trying to build these social media platforms that don't censor like Facebook or Twitter do. And I think whoever figures that out first is going to be like an ideological hero and is going to be compensated, you know, well for solving that problem. Mm. So I, like I know it. this isn't like a super funny take on it, but it's it's very real stuff. And um yeah, taking my own advice about not living in fear and being true to who you are and things like that and just recognizing patterns and speaking truth is uh is challenging. <laughs>
2: It is because we're constantly evolving. Like that's why, like when I hear people say, "Hey, follow your passion," I say, "No, don't do that. That's the worst advice I've heard." Because, like, <laughs> passions are, you know, they're they're rooted in emotion, and emotions change. Emotions actually uh-huh. don't have the, they don't have the ability to actually think or rationalize. They simply respond to stimulus. So it's it's more like your thoughts they stir the emotion. But then when we live inside the emotions and we get addicted to their you know, to that emotional payoff that we get, whether it be a positive or negative type of a thought, I tell folks all the time, listen, we have to eliminate that tendency to want to just dial in and depend upon, oh, does it feel good? No, it's not about what it feels like. The question is, is it serving me? Is it helping me become that, that better version, right?
1: Absolutely. Really the question. And if it's helping you and other people, wow, you hit the jackpot. Uh, Most of being being an entrepreneur does not feel good, right? It's very long hours. It's like you're constantly working. You're in isolation a lot or you're talking to everyone and it's exhausting. Um, Yeah, most of being an entrepreneur, I would say, does not feel good. Filing corporate taxes, like the first year when you can't afford to hire somebody, does not feel good.
2: yeah for sure.
1: Paying somebody later still doesn't feel good. Um, yeah, just dealing with lawyers doesn't feel good. like most of most of the day- to day tasks will not feel good. And so I think there is some truth to that. Follow your passion because if you don't have a strong why, you're never going to get through all of the things that don't feel good about putting in the work and uh, just always being on. But you're right, you can't just follow what feels good or you'll change your mind a bunch of times, you'll never implement anything, and you will, you don't stand a chance of succeeding at anything.
2: Agreed. Again, thank you, Mich- uh, Melissa, so much for for hanging out with us. Where can our audience uh, connect with you? Um, are you on social media? Um, yeah, where, I'm on find-
1: uh I'm on those until, you know, the market comes up with better versions. Um Right. So I'm on I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, uh, but then there's also a couple of cryptocurrency platforms that I'm trying to get onto. Uh there's one called minds dot org, I believe. And then there's Steemit. Steemit is another one where they pay content creators. In cryptocurrency so people can vote your stuff up and you can actually earn some money for it got it and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to joining more platforms like that but those are the only two like right now I've actually set up profiles for and then I do have a website but I need to update it Uh, Melissa Richelle r-i-c-h e-l-l-e.com
2: love it Melissa Richelle always a pleasure to connect thank you for sharing your insight with us here on The Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast.
0: Hey, you've been listening to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks to shape your best life and business in the least amount of time with your host, Loss mitigation executive, entrepreneur, and nationally featured author and speaker, David Ubida. Hey life hackers, help us reach more people. We need your help. Stop at iTunes, give us a positive review and rating. Remember, our goal is to become the number one small business podcast on iTunes. So your feedback really does matter. Hey, for more great content like you found here on this podcast, make sure to visit davidubita.com. Until next time, continue to grind, grow, and give.